So the title of today's message is Power to Sustain. And if I was to add to that, it would be Power to Sustain Us. You, me, as individuals, and uh, as those who have given our lives to the Lord, He has given us a promise And we are able to live in victory because of that promise. And so it was two Sundays ago that we celebrated Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus. And that day changed the entire course of history. I'm sure you would agree with me. And on that day when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was a promise of you shall receive power. And it was on that day that that promise was fulfilled. And you know that that power could not be contained in that upper room, but it exploded the glorious gospel of Jesus and the love of the Father for all mankind to the ends of the earth. So as difficult as what it might be, I wanted to ask you a question. Imagine our lives without the Holy Spirit. Imagine your life without the Holy Spirit. Imagine a life without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Or a life without the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Personally, it's a thought that I don't even want to dwell on. I'm just glad it's not the case and that... Things have happened the way they have. But the thought of it is too difficult to actually contemplate. And a life without the Holy Spirit would just be unbearable. I'm sure you would agree. So in Acts 1 verse 8, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came with a promise. And so reading from... The New King James Version, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, But you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. And so the promise of the Holy Spirit is that you shall receive power. And it's a promise with a purpose. And that purpose and this power gives us the ability and the efficiency and the might to fulfill that purpose, which is to be witnesses. Witnesses of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I've got a bit of a strange illustration around this. But when I hear the word witness, I think about a courtroom. And I think about someone who's very bad, who needs to go to jail, maybe a gangster or something like that. And there is this one witness that has got all the testimony to be able to put this horrible person away for a long time. And yet this person's life might be under threat, and so they find themselves potentially in protective custody. 
And it's in this protective custody that there is a police person or a lawyer and, and people around this witness to protect them, to counsel them, and to keep them strong so that they will be able to have the courage to be that witness in that courtroom. And that is somehow how I see the Holy Spirit when it comes to that need of power. It's like the Holy Spirit is that police person or that lawyer that takes care of us as we are there to give an account for the gospel one day. And you know, the, the illustration is maybe not that far off if you realize that the world the gospel needed to go into was actually hostile towards that gospel. Now, we're not even think, talking about the Jewish people who, who we know rejected Jesus. But just think a little bit about the Gentiles of that day. I mean, they didn't grow up under Jewish religious culture. They didn't understand religion as, as we might be able to define it. And now you want them and you come to them and you tell them about this Jesus who supposedly died for their sin. They don't even have a reference of sin, potentially. And oh, you need to commit your life to this Jesus. And you need to take up your cross, leave everything behind, and become a slave to him. Surely the world was hostile towards that very message. And I actually think it would be a hard sell. Think about it. Put yourself there. I think it would be a very hard sell. And now you've got these disciples, many of whom, let's face it, were not what we would potentially define as courageous and strong and warriors. Many of them were weak and full of flaws. And so they desperately needed the Holy Spirit to fulfill their mandate. They required the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would venture to say that nothing that we read of in the Bible would have been accomplished had it not been for the power of the Holy Spirit. They never would have been able to do it on their own. And so the Holy Spirit gave them the ability, the efficiency and might so that they could demonstrate the glory of the gospel to a world that by all accounts was not open and certainly not open to this gospel of truth. And I'm sure you would, when you think about it, as we reflect on the questions I asked you in the beginning, would agree that today we also require the Holy Spirit for us to fulfill our mandate. For we are only human beings, we are weak vessels, and without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I am pretty sure that we wouldn't be able to fulfill our mandate. So we also require this ability and efficiency and might to survive a world that is hostile towards the gospel. 
And that promised power sustains us even today to be able to say, as per Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's by the Holy Spirit that we can make that confession with boldness. And you know, we all know about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's in the gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive this promise of power. As I study Scripture, I find it quite fascinating that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, present in all places at one and the same time. And He's also omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And what I find so interesting is that God didn't promise us omnipresence. And He didn't promise us omniscience. Think about it. We can all go to the all-knowing one and He will answer us. We can all approach the, uh, the omnipresent one and I can pray for something here today and God at the very same time at His will accomplish it on the other side of the world because he is not bound by space. Yet it's the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one, who deposits power in us by the Holy Spirit. And to me, church, that is a revelation. God has deposited something of himself in us by the Holy Spirit, and that is power. So let's have a look at power for a moment, in particular power to sustain us. And to do this, we'll have a look at the book of 2 Corinthians, in particular chapter 4. You can start turning there if you want. Uh, we'll spend a little bit of time there. But just to create some context, this book was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And this church had many problems. The fact that the church existed was a miracle, but once it came into existence, it had many problems. There was this constant tension between wanting to fall back to their sinful past and pushing ahead in the knowledge of the faith, which Paul was teaching them. And then on top of it, they had all these false teachers because I'm led to understand that the church in Corinth was also a very wealthy church. And many of the people did not come from wealth. And so they had these, uh, the scripture talks about peddlers of the gospel that was teaching untruths as if it was the gospel truth. And it was with a view to infiltrate, pollute, and lead the people away from the truth. And somehow it had a measure of financial gain attached to it. So Paul was constantly trying to, to teach this church in Corinth the truth. And what happened was something which was very uncomfortable for Paul in terms of his nature. Paul was seemingly always defensive of his credentials to the church in Corinth. He constantly had to defend himself against these false teachers 
that were trying to get the so-called upper hand. The scripture even refers to these false teachers as being under the power of Satan. And so Paul found himself in this awkward position the whole time where he was uncomfortable because he had to constantly defend himself. And Paul didn't want to defend himself. He wanted to elevate God to the glory he deserves. And he constantly, he didn't want to focus on himself. He wanted the truth of the gospel to be shown to the church in Corinth. And so what we find here is that Paul puts up this argument about his suffering so as to show the Corinthians that the only way he would be able to share the gospel of truth with them was because of the power of God in his life. And that is where we find the book of 2 Corinthians. So commentaries I've read around this book talk about it as the book of suffering. Paul's suffering as a person, but it is with a view that he elevates his suffering so that God's glory can rather be elevated above himself as a person because ultimately he wanted the people to trust in God and not in man. And the reason I believe there's such a focus on personal suffering in, in Paul's life in, in the book of Corinthians is that in all of the suffering in this world, he can hold true to the statement of Zechariah 4 verse 6, where it says, and I make some additions to the scripture here, not by Paul's might, nor Paul's power, but by my Holy Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so when we look at 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about and he bemoans the suffering that he has to go through. And we see he talks about he was hard-pressed on every side. We see that in verse 8. He was perplexed. He lost his sense of calm and certainty. He was persecuted. He was struck down. He always lived in fear of his very life. I was watching a teaching on the scripture and, and, and they were making a little bit of light uh, in, in the message. And they, they said, you know, when Paul arrived in a city, he didn't ask where the hotel was. He asked for the prison because inevitably that's where he landed up. <laughs> he never landed up in a comfortable bed preaching the gospel. He landed up in jail and in suffering. And you know, many of us can testify of a time, a season, maybe even a lifetime of suffering, similar to what Paul has described here in this text. And life can be hard. Life can be really difficult. And life at times, many times, can just not be fair towards us. And we, we wonder, but why, Lord? Some seasons of life can, can be just too much for us to handle on our own. And that is the hope that I want to share with you in terms of this message, is that you can. You can make it because God has made a way. And so yet all that I've shared with you right now about Paul's moaning about his, his suffering is not really the full confession. So if you want to take up 
your Bible, we're going to read from chapter 4, from verse 8, 2 Corinthians. The scripture says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the body of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. So what was it that in all the suffering that Paul underwent, that he was still able to give a message of hope? How was it that in all of this he was able to maintain the confession we see in verse 1 and verse 16 of the same chapter where Paul says, we do not lose heart. Notwithstanding all this trouble and suffering, we do not lose heart. And I want to share with you two points in terms of this. And the first one is Paul understood this treasure in earthen vessels. Paul understood, had a revelation. It was real to him. This treasure in earthen vessels. So where does this point come from? It comes from 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. And I read it to you from the Amplified Bible because it makes it so clear. In verse 7 it says, However, we possess this precious treasure. The divine light of the gospel in frail human vessels of earth. That the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power, that word power coming through again, may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. You see, this treasure that Paul was talking about that brought him so much hope is the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, a description in another portion of this chapter. And so if you understand the miracle of Paul's salvation, you will understand the revelation of what he was saying in that text. You see, Paul, before he got saved, was probably the best Jew you could find. He was law-abiding, he was a Pharisee, he had stature, he had name. And you know, by all accounts, you would go, well, he, he's a strong religious leader of the day. The, the real negative about it was that his mission was to persecute the church. And that is where Jesus arrested his soul on the road to Damascus. But if you... If you understand how radically saved Paul was, then to an outsider looking in, you would think, why did Paul trade his old life for this life of suffering? Why would he do this? It makes no sense. And Paul is telling us that he is able to endure the suffering because he has a revelation of that precious treasure the divine light of the gospel, which is in his earthen vessel, 
which apparently, it's hearsay, was not much to talk about. Apparently, Paul wasn't a very good-looking man. On top of it, apparently he couldn't speak very well either. So he was a very clever man, and he was an intellectual man, and he was an upholder of the law. But he didn't have much going for him besides for that adherence to the law. But he was saved by Jesus, and he had this revelation. He received salvation through the acceptance of Jesus. And so in the hardness and the difficulty of his life, he could say, Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So what can we learn from all of this in terms of Paul's, Paul's life? And, and the first thing I want to say to you on that is that we need to understand that our lives on earth is but a minute dot on the timeline of eternity. Pastor Andre used this description uh, a few weeks ago at the funeral of my brother, and it, it stuck with me. And so when you have an understanding that if eternity for the sake of description is from the corner of the auditorium there to the corner of the auditorium there, if that represents eternity, then our life here on earth is but a mere dot on that line. And that dot is probably an exaggeration in terms of eternity and of the life we can live with our Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. And so it creates some perspective for us. It creates a perspective of what Paul was talking about here. Because as his children, the suffering and hardship we may experience in these earthen vessels pales into insignificance when we realize the hope we can live with considering our time in eternity with him. You see, our lives here on earth, as real as what it is to each and every one of us, is a mere blimp in the strands of time called eternity. You know, I was once told when I was younger, in my 20s, that we need to realize that as believers, as children of God, that we must realize that our time on earth is our hell. And you know, I rejected the thought. I thought, no, man, this thought is just bizarre. I mean, there's so many promises of life and, and, um, and God does good things and many of us have a, a story and a testimony to share of God's goodness. But when you realize that in the timeline of eternity, that as a born-again believer, this is the worst we're going to get it, we can live with hope. We can live with the full knowledge that in the expanse of time called eternity, that we will be spending far more time with our loving Father in His glorious courts, worshiping Him, with no pain, no suffering, no trouble. And when you have the perspective of eternity in mind, then it doesn't seem so long. And so what I realized when I processed that comment was that it motivates me to do all I can 
by God's Spirit to ensure that as many people who at this time don't know Christ come to the knowledge of Him. Because when you consider the expanse of eternity and the life we live here on earth, I don't want any unbeliever who has not surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ to have this as their heaven and eternity as hell. You see, because for those who haven't accepted Christ, this is heaven for them. But in the great expanse of eternity, it's a long time to live in hell. And so it inspires me to share the gospel, the gospel of truth with as many people I can, so that for them, the reality that this time on earth is but a mere dot in the timeline of eternity, and that we can all be together with our Father. The second thing it makes me realize is, is that we as believers like Paul can make this bold statement that no matter what this life may throw at us, we do not lose heart. Because when you have the perspective of eternity, we do not need to lose heart in terms of our lives here on earth. Because we have this treasure, this divine light of the gospel that lives in our earthen vessels and as soon as we get the, the revelation of that in the context of eternity, we can live with much hope. And Paul had that revelation. We can see it in 2 Corinthians 4. The second point I want to just mention in terms of, of this and what we can learn from Paul is that the power to sustain us is of God. It is not of us. The word power used here in verse 7 is the very same Greek word, dunamis, which was used in Acts 1 verse 8, in the promise of the power that we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is saying here is that in his own power, he would not be able to do what he does. He would just not be able to do it in his own strength. And in his own power, he just would not be able to endure the suffering that he was enduring in his time here on earth. But it is because of the power of God upon his life by the Holy Spirit that he can endure all things. And we can see in another portion of Scripture, you can turn there a few pages on, in chapter 12, reading from verse 8 to 10. Paul here is talking about an affliction in his life, and when we, when we look at the context of this, it seems to lean towards a physical affliction that he was suffering with. There's not real surety in terms of what this affliction was, but it seemed to, to be debilitating for him, and it was a real hindrance for him. And so we find these words in chapter 12, verse 8 to 10, saying, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And the Lord responded, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power, the dynamis power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, church, Paul realized that he has this power, and it is a divine power. It's an impartation of God himself by the Holy Spirit. He realized this. It was truth to him. And it was all because of this treasure, Jesus Christ, that he had received and that was so real to him and is so real to many of you here today. I know. It is real to me. I know. And so because of all of this, he realized that he can do all things. He can endure all things. He can persevere he can run this race because of that divine power he has received by the Holy Spirit. He can do it. And his message to us today in this portion of Scripture is that so can you. So can you. And so can I. And so can we together as believers in Christ. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that we can live with the knowledge that we have this treasure, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that lives within us because we have accepted him as our personal Lord and Savior. And that because of the promise of the Holy Spirit, you supply power to sustain us no matter what life can throw at us. And that, Father, we can hold dear to the fact that no matter, no matter what hill or mountain we must climb or bump in the road, in terms of our life here on earth, it is but a mere dot in the sands of time called eternity. And so we've got every reason to rejoice. And because we have got this power within us, we have the ability, the might, the efficiency by the Holy Spirit to live victorious lives in you in the year and the now. And because of that power by your Holy Spirit, Lord, let us pursue every unbeliever we can who has not discovered this divine treasure. And may it become real to them today. And may you use us, Lord, that, Lord, our suffering might not be highlighted, but that your glory, your might, your goodness, your love towards us, from everlasting to everlasting, that is what stands and that is what we rejoice in. We rejoice in your glory and your love and your might. Lord, go with your people as we close this service and we pray that you keep them till we meet again next week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.